Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up where we left off. Brother Andrew is out still on vacation. They'll be back next week, and uh, his class is staying in with me this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8. Last, last week, we, we stopped at verse 26. And in that passage that we covered last week, we discovered that even though our hope is firmly founded on the future tense deliverance of God, we are not without help in our present tense reality. Amen? The Spirit, the Scripture told us back in verse 26, helps us with our infirmities. The, the Holy Ghost within us comes alongside of us and helps us bear our burdens. Paul let us know that there is a deep level of intercessory prayer where the Holy Ghost literally prays through us. Not, not all prayer takes place on that level. Not all prayer takes place in, under that set of circumstances. But there are certainly times when the Spirit of God rises within us and takes over our prayer and prays for things that we do not understand in a language and groanings that cannot be uttered. Amen. That can include praying in the Holy Ghost or praying while speaking in tongues. It can also include praying with groans and sighs that are never really vocalized in any kind of language. It's a prayer that makes no sense at all in this present world, but is clearly and completely heard and understood in heaven. Amen. So this morning on on the back end of verse 25, we come into verse 27, I mean verse 26, we come into verse 27, which is still dealing with that same kind of spirit-led prayer. And our text this morning is just two verses, verses 27 and 28, amen. It says this, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Amen. I'm going to stop right there this morning, and we'll pick up and begin with verse 27. And He searcheth the hearts. Say that again. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. When we pray those kind of spirit-filled, spirit-led prayers that we talked about last week, we may not always understand what we are praying. We may not always understand what is being expressed in sighs and groanings that cannot be uttered. But Paul says in this verse, we can have confidence that our prayer is in the will of God. He who searcheth the hearts. That is a phrase that uh, is repeatedly used in Scripture as a reference to God. God knows our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the thoughts, the intentions of our heart. He knows the way of a man better than the man knows his own way. Amen? 
And so when the Spirit prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered, He prays from the very depth of our own hearts, from the very depth of our our own desires. The Spirit communicates the, the very deepest part of our desires and longings for the glory of God, for the coming blessing of God, for the for the things of God to be revealed in our life. Those things as those desires that are so deep that they simply cannot be uttered. They they cannot find expression in language. So they find expression in groanings and sighings and and things that cannot be uttered. Amen. I know I'm talking about a very deep level of intercessory prayer. We're actually going to do the next segment we're doing on Wednesday Night Life class after we finish our Fruit of the Spirit is going to be on, on spiritual warfare. We're going to deal with prayer. And we're going to talk about this kind of prayer in depth. And those Wednesday night classes, if you're not coming to Wednesday Night Life class, uh, you're missing out on a whole lot of practical, godly life, real life instruction. Right down where the rubber meets the road, we, we, we talk on Wednesday nights about what it really means to be a Christian. Amen? With the nuts and bolts of it all, right down to what it, where, the, where you really live your life, what it means to be the people of God. You ought to avail yourself of that. Amen? We'll talk more about that kind of prayer in our upcoming Wednesday night series on prayer and fasting and spiritual warfare. Amen? But in, in that kind of prayer, the Spirit communicates the very deepest things in our heart uh, to heaven, to God. It communicates the very deepest desires. Uh, we, we may not always understand it. It may not always make sense to us. But, but God understands exactly what the Spirit is praying through us. Now, God is the one who searches the hearts. He's the one who knows our hearts. And He knows, the Scripture reads this way, He that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. So he knows our heart, knows the mind of the Spirit, because when the Spirit makes intercession, it does so according to the will of God. He that searcheth the heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because when the Spirit begins to make intercession through us, it does it in accordance with the will of God. Amen? So when we begin to pray in that kind of a place, God knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's being said. He understands the thought and the longing that drives that kind of groaning that cannot be uttered because it's in tune with, it comes from the Spirit of God that abides within us, and it's in tune with the will of God for our lives. Amen? Does it make sense to us? Groanings that cannot be uttered means they cannot be uttered. They cannot be put into human language but they come from deep within the heart and they connect the the psalmist said deep cries unto deep there's something deep inside of me that connects with something deep in the spirit of god that there's a transmission that takes place that i don't understand amen that i can't grasp but deep communicates with deep and something inside of me connects with something in the spirit of god and it's in accordance with the will of god amen that's important to notice and, and to make note of in this verse that, that Paul is not separating the Godhead into two distinct persons with one person interceding and another person hearing the prayer and acting on it. The Spirit is not and cannot be another person separate, 
separate from God. It is God's spirit. And you cannot separate the spirit of God from God any more than you can separate the spirit of a man from the man. They are indivisible. Every man, every woman, and every child has a spirit. And that spirit is intangible, but it is very real. And it is a very real part of who you are. You have a spirit, and that spirit cannot be separated from you. To separate that spirit from the man would cause the man to actually cease to be. It is impossible to do. Amen. They are inseparably one. That's the same way that it is with God. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost is the inseparable uh, part of God's being. It is His Spirit. God is a spirit. Amen. And it is the very essence of who He is. John begins talking about the Son of God the same way. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word was made flesh. Amen. You can't separate my Word from me. My word is the expression of my thoughts, my intentions, my mind. Amen. You can't separate my word from me. You can't make my word a separate person any more than you can make my spirit a separate person. Amen. It is one whole entity that is God. And so we, we may speak of our spirit as the source of our dreams or aspirations or even our hopes. We may speak of the indomitable, unconquerable will of the spirit that will never give up, that will never turn back, even in the face of impossible odds. We see somebody who prevails against an impossible situation. We talk about the strength of their spirit, how that the spirit just will not give up, uh, how the spirit just will not fold. Your, your spirit knows your thoughts. It's in harmony with your will, and it cannot be separated from who you are. Amen? That's what Paul is saying. He says, he who searches the heart of a man knows the mind of the Spirit of God, and when he makes intercession for us, he does so in the will of God because God's Spirit knows God's will for our lives. And God's Spirit is what He filled us with. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. Amen. That abides in us. And that Spirit of God knows the will of God. It knows the mind of God. It knows the thoughts of God. And when it begins to pray through us, it prays in harmony with the will of God. Even when we don't understand it, even when we don't understand, the, sometimes we don't even know the will of God for our lives. Sometimes we don't even know where the next step is going to take us. Sometimes we're, we're like a, a blind man in a dark room looking for a light switch that we can't find. We don't know what the will of God is. We don't know the right direction. But the Holy Ghost within us knows the will of God. It knows the next step. It knows the direction that we're supposed to take. It knows what's coming next. It knows what's going on. And so when we begin to pray, and we begin to pray in the Spirit, and the Holy Ghost begins to pray through us, some Sometimes the course of our life makes no sense at all to us. We don't understand why God makes us walk through certain valleys. And we, we don't understand why we have to go through certain trials. But the Spirit of God within us knows the mind of God. It knows the will of God for our lives. And it knows how to pray more perfectly than we know how to pray. We pray our wish list. My wife wants to give God a list. And this is the way it has. She, she was detailing to me yesterday how it needs to be all the way down to the end of her life. There's a list. 
But, you know, the Spirit, the Holy Ghost within me knows His list. And His list is sometimes different than my list. And sometimes it is more profitable to me to begin to pray and let the Holy Ghost speak through me. Let the Holy Ghost pray through me because the Spirit of God knows more perfectly than I do what the next step needs to be. Amen? Sometimes when the whole situation of your life is beyond your understanding, the very best thing that you can do is shut yourself away in a prayer closet somewhere and pray until you're speaking in tongues, until the Holy Ghost is praying through you, until the presence of God is ministering through your life, until the Spirit is making intercession because the Spirit understands what you may never be able to understand. The Spirit knows what you may never grasp, what you may never understand. The Holy Ghost knows the heart and the mind of God, and it understands, and it prays. It intercedes. That's the word that's used. It intercedes. It comes alongside of us and helps us carry the burden. Amen? So verse 28 then says, and we know. There's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know why. We don't know why we are where we are. We don't know why we walk through the valley we walk through. We don't know why we face the trial that we face. We don't know why certain circumstances happen in our life. We don't know why God put us right where he put us or why we had to go through what we had to go through. There's some things we don't know. But this thing we do know. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So now, after talking about what we don't know and the Holy Ghost praying through us and working through us to help us to step into that will of God that we sometimes don't understand, now we celebrate the providence of God because in amongst everything that we don't know, there is one thing that we do know. Amen. We know that God makes all things to work together for good to them who are called according to His purpose, to them that love Him and are called according to his purpose. A few verses ago in this chapter, we, we were talking about a future tense hope. We were talking about uh, hoping for the glory of God, hoping for the coming, soon coming of God, hoping that uh, one of these days we're going to be with Him for eternity. And we can rest assured that our future is secure with God, just like the earth itself groans and, and creation itself groans and waits for the day when it will be restored to its its proper uh, what it was created for and what it was made for, just as surely as, as it's looking forward to the time when it will be restored to its original purpose. One of these days, we have that hope that one of these days, uh, God's going to bring our lives into harmony with his perfect plan, and we're going to be with him forevermore, and we're going to leave behind all these weights and trials and troubles and fears and frustrations and doubts and all the stuff that assails us on this side of glory. One of these days, uh, we're leaving behind the limitations uh, of our flesh. One of these days, uh, we're leaving behind that sin nature that is presently with us. One of these days. Uh, we're leaving behind the fears that constantly assail us. One of these days uh, we're going to stand in harmony with His perfect eternal plan for our lives. That's our hope. Amen? But just like the previous verse about prayer began with saying, you know, you have a future tense hope, but you also have a present tense 
help. Once again, that's what Paul is reminding of us, uh, reminding us of, that we have more than just a future tense hope of God's blessing in our lives. We have the present tense assurance that where we are right now, God knows what's going on in your life. And God, who keeps our future secure, also works out our present circumstances uh, to the benefit, to the good uh, of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. God knows. He knows how to make our current situation. He knows how to make what you're going through right now to work out for the ultimate good. God knows how to craft it together and make it into something that is beautiful. It's about the understanding that God is in control of our lives. God is in control of our destinies. God is in control. He orders our footsteps, and he will not let some external circumstance come into our lives that will hinder his will from coming to pass in our lives. That doesn't mean we won't encounter some tragedies along the way. That doesn't mean that we're not going to be subject to time and circumstance. That doesn't mean that it's not going to rain on the just and the unjust alike. We're going to go through some things that we don't want to go through. We're going to walk through some times that we don't understand why we have to go through it. But the external events of our lives, the things that happen to us, will never have the ability to impact the will of God and the purpose of God for our lives. He's always going to bring us into his perfect will. He's always going to bring us into harmony with that eternal purpose that he has for us. We have this confidence that no matter what happens to us, God is always working to bring us to that hope. Amen? He's always working to bring about his good, his perfect will, his perfect plan in our lives. He's not going to let something come into our lives that is so terrible that it overwhelms his plan and his purpose for our lives. He's not going to let something come into your life uh, that will push you out of the will of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God for your life. He's not going to allow you to encounter a trial that is so big that you simply can't not make it through it. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, God makes a way with every trial for us to escape from it. He makes a way with every trial for us to bear it, to come through it. He's not going to let anything by His divine hand come into your life that has the ability to take you out of the will of God. If you'll hold fast to the hope, if you'll hold fast to the promise, if you'll walk with Him, you have this assurance, amen, you have this promise that He works everything in your present circumstance, in your present situation, everything that's going on in your life together for good. We have that assurance no matter what the circumstance is. Even when Satan causes evil things to happen to you, to to harm you, to injure you, or to try to destroy you, God will bring good in spite of the evil. 
God will bring good in spite of hell's harmful intentions. God will bring good when somebody sets out to harm you and hurt you. When somebody sets out to do damage to you, you can have this assurance. God's going to work good out of that which was meant for evil. Amen? God in his sovereign will through his divine providence can use that which was intended to harm us to bless us. He can use that which is intended for evil to bring about good in our lives. He makes all things to work together for good. That word work together has the connotation of working hand in hand. He makes all things, the good things and the bad things, the blessings that were for our benefit and the attacks that were meant to destroy us. He makes them work hand in hand together to bring about his ultimate good in our lives. That's where we see the hand of God, the divine providence of God at work in our lives. When we look back over the course of our lives, when we look back over the things that we've been through, when we look back over the road that we have walked, we can often see the hand of God bringing together the strangest and most contradictory of events in our lives to work together hand in hand. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Some of it was a blessing and some of it was a curse. But it all works together. And it brings about his ultimate good. It produces the unexpected result of God's blessing in our lives. At the time, it seemed like the situation would destroy us. At the time, it seemed as if we were going to be overwhelmed, as if it was too much for us to bear. But when we look back at it from the other side of the circumstance, when we see the hand of God weaving it all together, making it all work together, we see that it produced a good thing. It produced a blessing. It produced the wonderful blessing of the presence of God in our lives. It moved us closer to where he's called us to be. It brought us more in line with his harmony and his perfect will for our lives. It got us one step closer to that hope. Amen? When we see that, when we come to that awareness in our lives, we can only stand in awe of the power of God that's crafted something good in the middle of something that seems so terrible. The, the best example that I could come up with from Scripture is the, the Old Testament story of Joseph. It's a, it's a striking example of the mysterious and wonderful way that God makes bad things work together for good in the lives of those who, are call, who love him and are called according to his purpose. Joseph, you know the story. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was abandoned and betrayed by the very ones who should have loved him the most. It wasn't strangers. It wasn't the people in his village or town. It wasn't the folks he went to school with or that he worked with. It was his brothers who wounded him and betrayed him and cast him into a pit and sold him into slavery. And as if that was not enough, when Joseph finally landed in Egypt, he ended up in Potiphar's house, and there God blessed him, and he rose from being the low servant to being the second only to the master in the house. He ran Potiphar's household. He was blessed abundantly. Even as a slave in Potiphar's house, he was blessed. 
But there in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. And he was sent from that place of prestige and power to prison. Once again betrayed. Once again, those who should have protected him turned their back on him. And in prison, the Bible said God elevated him again. He rose to the place of prominence in the prison. He became second only to the jailer. He, he was over all the prisoners. And there God brought two men into that prison. They were uh, the butler and the baker. And the butler and the baker had fallen out of favor with Pharaoh. And they had been cast into prison. They both dreamed dreams. And God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dreams. And he told the butler, he told the baker, said, you're going to be called back out. Pharaoh's going to call you out of this prison, and he's going to pass judgment on you, and you're going to hang and die. You're going to lose your life. But he said to the butler, you're going to be called back out of the prison, and you're going to find favor with Pharaoh, and he's going to restore you to your position. When he does, remember me. You know what happened? It happened just like Joseph said it would happen. The baker lost his life. The butler was restored to position, and he served the Pharaoh again, but he forgot all about Joseph. But through it all, every step of that long, exhausting, disappointing journey, with every betrayal, with every misfortune, with everything that worked against Joseph, God was in the middle of it all, making it all work together hand in hand to bring about his perfect plan for Joseph's life. It was only, God was the only one that knew that the next step for Joseph is second in command of the entire nation of Egypt. God is the only one who knew that he's about to lift Joseph from a prison into being the governor of all the, 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 the grain and the food that's been stored up for uh, against the famine that is coming. It's going to be Joseph that's going to meet that out. He's going to have all the power in the empire. He doesn't learn that in his daddy's house. He learned that in Potiphar's house. It was at Potiphar's house we learned to count, where he learned to keep figures, where he learned to tally things, where he learned to keep the books, and where he learned to, to, to work in the business realm. He learned that at Potiphar's house. He didn't learn that in his daddy's house. But God took the, the betrayal of his brothers, uh, and he worked it into his perfect plan for Joseph's life. And then he goes down to prison, and I'm sure he learns in the prison certain traits that he needs for what God's getting ready to bring him to. Joseph doesn't understand it, but God understands it. And in the end, he takes all of it and it all works together hand in hand. Joseph could have never been the man that God called him to be if he hadn't gone through all those various betrayals and terrible circumstances and all the oppression and all the stuff that he went through that molded and made him into the person that God called him to be. And in the end, God used Joseph to save his whole family from that great famine. The very brothers that sold him into slavery were spared the terrible fate of starving to death because God made a way 
to bring good out of the evil circumstances in Joseph's life. One of my favorite passages, one of my favorite moments in Scripture is that moment when Joseph reveals to his brothers who he really is. When they, I'm not going to bore you with all the details again, but when they've come to the, the kingdom, they've, they've come to buy grain, and he's already deceived them twice. He's already sent them back home and had them bring back Benjamin, his younger brother, and he's, he's already he's, he's lorded over them, and then finally he can't take it any longer, and he sends the guards out, and he sends everybody else away, and he reveals himself to his brothers. I am Joseph whom you've sold into slavery. And they're stricken with fear because the brother that they sold into slavery now has the power of life and death over them. He now has the authority. He holds their lives in his hands. But rather than take vengeance on them, Joseph tells them in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he said, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. But God meant it for good. Joseph couldn't see that at the beginning. He couldn't see that when it was all unfolding. He couldn't see that when he was in the in, in, in that time when they betrayed him. He couldn't see that whenever Potiphar's wife sent him to prison. He couldn't see that when the, when the butler forgot about him. When it was all unfolding, he couldn't understand that. But when he looks back on his life, when he looks back down the, the path that he's walked, when he looks back and sees the history that is behind him from the perspective of the ultimate good that God has brought to pass, he can see the hand of God in his life all the way through the history of his life. He says, God, God meant it for good. God made it work together for good. There are a lot of other stories I could tell in Scripture to demonstrate the same principle. Balaam set out to curse Israel. You know the story. Balaam came and hired the prophet Balaam. I want you to curse the children of Israel. He set out to do it. He loved money more than he loved God. And he was going to curse the children of Israel. You know what happened? The Bible said every time he opened his mouth to pronounce a cursing, God put a blessing in it instead. When he meant to speak a curse, he spoke a blessing. Over and over again. What he meant for evil, God multiplied into good. It's in the story of Paul himself, the writer of the book of Romans. As Saul, the great persecutor of the church, he, he intended to extinguish the flames of revival in the first century. He intended to destroy the church, but instead of blowing out the fire of revival, he fanned those flames. Uh, he spread them all over the world uh, through his persecution. Uh, he unwittingly forced the church uh, out of its comfort zone, out of Jerusalem, out of the place where it, where it felt safe, uh, and he spread it like wildfire across the Roman Empire. He meant to be a hindrance, but God ultimately used him to bring about a blessing. That's the promise. God works all circumstances together for good. Now let me give you the flip side of the coin. Although we have the assurance that all things will ultimately work together for good, that does not mean that we will always be able to identify the good in the middle of every trial and every circumstance and every tragedy in our lives. You're not always going to be able to see it. 
You're not always going to be able to understand it. Sometimes you have to take it on faith that God has a plan and God has a purpose. And there is an understanding that is beyond me. There is, a, there is a creative design at work in my life that is bigger than I am. I won't always, in the middle of the fiery trial, be able to look around and see God's providence at work. I'm not always going to be able to look around and see the blessing of God and the curse that seems to be placed upon me. Sometimes I'm going to have to walk by faith. Sometimes I'm going to have to just know that in the end, somewhere down the road, God is going to bring something good out of what I'm going through right now. It was impossible for Joseph to see the goodness that God would ultimately bring to pass when his brothers assailed him and threw him into an empty well. And they stood there on the rim of that well and they discussed among themselves, uh, should we kill him? Should we take his life? Uh, or should we sell him to the slave traders? And Joseph is down in the bottom of that pit saying, hey guys, I can hear you talking about me. Didn't seem like there was any good there. It didn't seem like there was any blessing there. It didn't seem like anything good could come out of that. God seemed to be miles and miles away. Don't judge your circumstance by what you can see and understand right now. Don't judge your circumstance by what your mind can comprehend. If you try to find good in every situation and try to say, God, show me the good, show me the blessing, you're going to be sorely disappointed because there are going to be times in your life where you simply can't see, you simply don't understand. The plan is bigger than you are. You can't see the whole picture. You can't see the ultimate good that God is going to bring to pass. It took years for Joseph to finally arrive at that place of understanding. It took years to him to finally come to that place where he could see what God has done, what God has brought to pass. You have to trust him. You have to walk by faith, not by sight. You gotta walk by faith, not by what you understand. You gotta walk by faith, not by what you can see. We're so bound up in what we can see and what we can understand and what we can grasp, but sometimes we don't trust God. We've got to believe He's gonna work it all together for good. You now, this is the hard pill to swallow, but I'm gonna say it anyway. You may never see the good result that God's going to bring to pass in your life. You may never arrive at that moment of understanding like Joseph did when, when you look back down your life and the history all suddenly comes into focus and suddenly you understand what God was doing and why it was bringing it to pass. It may be your children. It may be your grandchildren. It may be after you're dead and gone that it all comes into focus and understanding dawns somewhere. But you can believe this. He makes all things work together for good to those that love him, to them who are the called according to his purpose always, under every circumstance, in every situation. In everything that happens in your life, he makes it all work together for good. Whether you ever understand it 
or not. Now, the only caveat is this. This promise is only to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you don't love God, if, if you're not living according to his plan, if you're not living according to his purpose, then you don't have the assurance of this promise that God is working the events of your life to your ultimate good. That's the truth of what the verse says. You, you, you can rest assured if you're not walking in accordance with the purpose of God, if you don't love God with all your heart, if you're not pursuing God, if you're not walking according to His plan, you can rest assured that God is trying to bring you back to a place of repentance, that His mercy and grace can, can work in life, that He's pursuing you, that He's trying to bring you back uh, from that wayward journey back into His purpose uh, and back into His plan. But you have to understand that if you take your life in your own hands and you pursue choices outside of His will and outside of His purpose and outside of His plan, for your life, you do not have the assurance that he is in the middle of everything, working it all out for your good. If you want that assurance, then you've got to bring your life into conformity with the calling. You've got to be those who love God and them who are called according to his purpose. You've got to find a place of repentance. You've got to find a place to put your heart back into the will and the purpose of God. You've got to find a place to bring your life back into accordance with the, the plan of God and the purpose of God for your life. That purpose that he's talking about, that purpose includes both the ultimate call of God to glory, to eternity, to heaven, and every step along the way that's going to bring us there. That's his purpose. The purpose of God for Joseph was 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 that 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 dry well and that slave caravan and Potiphar's house and even the prison that brings him to that place of ultimate triumph. That's the purpose of God. I've got to be willing to work his plan. I've got to be willing to subject my plan to his plan. I've got to be willing to subject my will to his will. I've got to be willing to surrender all my all the pretense that I control my life to him and let him control my life. And if I'll do that, I have this assurance. If I'll trust him, if I'll walk according to his purpose, I have this assurance he's going to make everything in my life work together for his good. Amen. He's called us. We have to walk in his calling. When you walk in the call of God, you walk in the divine providence of God. And make no mistake about it, everybody under the sound of my voice has a calling. It's not just preachers. Everybody under the sound of my voice, you have a calling from God for your life. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. And you can have that assurance that if I'm walking according to his plan, if I'm walking according to his purpose, he makes all things work together for good. And if you don't have that assurance this morning, then you need to find a place of prayer and you need to put your heart back into the plan and the purpose of God for your life. It doesn't take, you can't go back and undo a journey you've already walked. You simply have to say, God, here I am. I surrender myself to you. I put myself into your hands. Correct the course of my life. Put me back into that 
purpose and that plan that you have for me. I surrender to the call of God. I want to walk in the providence of God from this moment on. And I can tell you, only God has the ability to take the tangled mess that a life of sin produces and work it together for good. He can do that. You can't do that. I can't do that. But God can do that. When you come into accordance with the will of God, you come into that place that you surrender to the plan of God. He has the ability to look down past all of your past and graft it right into his perfect will, his perfect plan for your life to make everything work together for good. Only God can do that. Dr. Ravi Zacharias, I'm closing with this uses this illustration, the illustration of a grand weaver, to demonstrate how God causes all the events of our life to work together according to his purpose. Dr. Zacharias tells about visiting a particular village in India where the most beautiful and intricate saris, or a sari is a six-yard long garment that is worn in an Indian wedding by the bride in India. They are intricately and spectacularly woven together, breathtaking garments that are composed of brilliantly covered, colored silk threads. They're woven together in an intricate and unique design. Every one is unique. And they are conceived in the mind of a grand weaver. There is no plan. There is no paper. There is no illustration. There's only the mind of the weaver who conceives that six yards of fabric. And he takes in his hands this bundle of intricately beautiful, brilliantly colored threads, silk threads. And he begins to weave them together. The grand weaver may work on a single wedding garment for months. Only the weaver and assistant, usually the assistant is his son who is learning the trade from his father who will one day become the grand weaver and his son will sit at his feet as he weaves those very expensive and very delicate garments that will become the garment of a bride. Every bride in India wants to wear a hand-woven sari to her wedding. The design of each of those hand-woven garments is unique and exists only in the mind of the master who takes that multitude of colored threads in his hands and begins to weave them together. If you were to visit his shop, if you were to stand there and watch him work, if you viewed it in a moment or from the perspective even of a whole single day of work, you would never see the grand design. You would never understand what he is bringing to pass because it's not immediately evident. Carefully, what the master has in mind is bigger than the canvas of a single day. It's bigger than the canvas of a single work week. Carefully, the design takes shape thread by thread line by line, in a painstaking process that slowly but surely he begins to bring out the plan that he's conceived in his mind. Dr. Zacharias makes this point. The weaver never wastes a single pass of the shuttle. Every weave, every piece of thread, every moment has a purpose. Everything that he does 
contributes to the overall design. But if you visit him, if you stand in the shop for just a moment, if you saw the work from the perspective of what is done in a single day, you'd never be able to catch the scope of that grand design. There may be a solitary gold thread in his hands that he's weaving in what seems to be a haphazard way through the design. From the short-term perspective, it may seem to be insignificant. But if you could come back months later, if you could see the six yards of fabric when they are finished, that gold thread may very well be the star of the entire work. It may very well be the centerpiece of the whole design. But you can't know that unless you can see the finished product. You can't understand the significance of a single thread unless you have the design in your mind. That's the way it is with your life. Many different threads, many different events, many different circumstances, many different situations. Some of them were good and some of them were bad. Some of them you caused and some of them somebody else did to you. Some of them come from choices you made and some of them were stuff that you didn't have any choice about. Somebody else inflicted them upon you. But the grand weaver, he has a purpose. He has a plan. He has a design. And they all come together in the mind of God. They work hand in hand to bring about good. To create a spectacular masterpiece when you let him work it all out according to his plan. When you don't take your life into your own hands, but you put it in his hands and let him do what only he can do. All of life's experiences, everything that you go through, it all works together. And it molds us and it makes us into what he has intended for us to be. And in the end, one of these days, we'll stand back. And from heaven's distant shore, you'll look back over your life and see the tapestry that God has woven. And see those singular moments that you did not understand. And all snap into focus. And you'll see the goodness of God like you've never seen it before. And you'll understand what you've never understood before. If only you will trust Him, walk with Him, let Him guide your way. Would you stand with me? I know this. The greatest assurance that you could have in this life is that He makes all things work together for good.